All right, fix the money. We're speaking with Matthew Mazinskis, our favorite Baltic American. He's an advisor in corporate finance and investing, purveyor of Porkopolis Economics, and host of Crypto Voices. Matthew, great to talk to you again. Likewise, yeah. Thank you very much for having me back. Uh, it's been a while, and uh, yes, my favorite American, Canadian, Austrian as well. There we go, and I think I uh, that right? that's why I love uh, I love being able to talk to you about this stuff because I think we we hold um, sort of a foot in both worlds, as it were. Um, you know, I, I yeah. would have said in both fiat worlds, USD and Euro, but uh, yeah. bro, the times are a change in. Uh, there's been a lot of uh, I don't know if you've heard a lot of. Banking runs, banking crises. Um, I don't want to go into the sort of explications of it, you know, looking at minuscule detail, but looking yeah. at the meta level, uh, we've had some some big moves lately in Europe, particularly in Switzerland. Uh, we've had the, the banking failures in the U.S., and we've got promises of investigations up there on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. Um, you know, as a man who studies money, fiduciary media, monetary bases, uh, you know, what is your sort of general take on everything that's uh, that's happened here the last, uh, I guess, week and a half? Yeah, well, you have the lexicon, right? Um, I think that uh, this is something that, you know, I, I said something similar uh, at the Honey Badger uh, in September that, you know, if you imagine you were a gold bug in 1970, right, going to conferences in the 1970s, and then... You get to 1980 and gold is like $850 an ounce for, for two seconds. It was literally two seconds and then it fell back. And, you know, you think that you made it, you think you conquered inflation, but then lo and behold, the power of the printing press after Paul Volcker took interest rates to 20% at that time, basically set the stage to where we are now, where he set a 40 year bull run in bonds. So when the price of the bond falls, sorry, when the yield of the bond falls, the price goes up, meaning, you know, your balance sheet expands and you can take on more debt and even more uh, loans and more investments. And that's what's been happening. And I'm sure you, like me, have been listening to plenty of financial podcasts over the last decade, 15 years, you know, even since the great financial crisis, that's kind of what brought me to classical liberalism and so, so on and so forth. But like, we've been talking about this for a long time. Uh, I'm not sure how long they can keep kicking the can out down the road, but I always warn people like, look, they have done it before and, uh, they have the capability. They have the, uh, they have the printing press. They have the legislative power. The U S is the largest, you know, collection agency, IRS, the largest collection agency, taxing agency in the world. Some people call it an empire. Uh, you never know how much longer it can go, but we see, the trail of tears that can be left even by a few bumps in the interest rate, which happened over the last couple of years, basically when Powell said he was going to finally jack up rates. And you, you see this, uh, you know, what happened with SVB. I mean, you get caught with your pants down hilariously with supposedly a safe asset, treasury bonds. And it was about two percentage points that the 10 year uh, rose over the last two years. And that seems to be their undoing amazingly. And like, that just can't be the case for, you know, everybody holds bonds. If you hold a bond, you're supposed to be in a safe haven. But when you've had the price of bonds driven up, the yield driven down for 40 years, I mean, just these small little kinks are actually a major wrench. And um, I think it's very good for Bitcoin, of course, but I'm not a doom and gloomer. I'm not someone who wants to necessarily burn the whole system down. We've talked about, you know, all of the 
problems in our part of the world, even closer where I am, you know, going on with Ukraine and actual fight for freedom here. And uh, it's totally different than 30 years ago. 30 years ago, you had, you know, the Berlin Wall falling, you had interest rates falling, and you had a peaceful revolution for freedom. Now, in Europe, we have rising interest rates, and we have war. Uh, it's very different. I think it's very uh, scary. And um, I don't know. Again, I'm not a doom and gloomer. I don't hope for the worst for like the whole fiat structure. So I'm sure you don't either. But uh, there are a lot of people that that are hoping for that, which is even more kind of weird. So you're right. A lot, a lot is going on. I feel like I just have to play this clip for you again. Putin is bad. Very, very, very bad. But he's still better than the guy who brings every conversation around to Bitcoin. Yes, of course, Bill Maher. <laughs> uh, well, here's a couple things. I, I mean, uh, the savings bond stuff is really interesting in the treasury bonds. I mean, I remember growing up as a young lad, uh, you know, the family would buy these Canadian bonds and it was the most secure thing ever. My grandfather had some of these in his safe and, you know, it was something he intended to give to his children as if it was going to be worth something one day. Uh, yeah. If you have a bank like Silicon Valley and they were worth, I don't know what, $100 billion, right? Why did they take yeah, their money? And put it in treasury bonds instead of just leaving it in cash or doing other investments. Why is it that they chose specifically to do those bonds? That I think that's like a big question. Were they forced to do that per the rules or what was that analysis like? Yeah, I mean, my understanding is they were hunting for yield at a time where there was no yield because they had made those investments two years ago precisely uh, as the COVID printing crescendo was 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 peaking and um so they thought that uh that's just the best place to hunt for yield apparently there's no risk manager in these banks to think about duration risk which literally means and the farther out you go so like if you have a year bond a change in the yield is not as big a deal right it could be a couple percentage points but if you got a five-year bond 10-year bond as these were or more 20 30-year bonds you know austria i think issued a hundred-year bond uh, a couple of years ago, I remember seeing that. I think that they did. But regardless, like that's a massive duration risk that if rates are falling, as they have been, as we talked about for the last 40 years, you're okay. In fact, you're good because the price of your bonds will go up. But just a little bit of a hit, and I'll actually do an analysis of this on my daily uh, this week because it's, uh, it's probably, it, it needs to be done. But I was looking just briefly, like I think a two-year, a two-percentage point increase in yield if you're holding a 10-year bond that will that will hit your book like 20 percent the value of your of your assets will fall by 20 percent so apparently that happened to them i mean they had like 20 billion in these mortgage-backed securities and they got they, they took like a 10 percent hit there i think they lost 2 billion on 20 the weird thing to me and i haven't heard a great explanation is why they decided to sell those bonds um apparently that was the cause of the run is that they realized uh that, well, there were a few things. There was this newsletter writer. Uh, there were, you know, Peter Thiel. And of course, the, the run was on, right? But they decided to sell like some of their worst assets to cover the withdrawals, the redemptions. So that made it all the more worse. They didn't have to even mark those to market on their books. Like I said, you could take that 10, 20% hit, but you don't, per banking regulations, you don't have to uh, mark that to market. Uh, but they decided to do that. They decided to literally take the loss that fueled the bank run even more. And um, I guess to answer your question, like that's kind of what happened from my understanding, but to answer your question of why they hold bonds is bonds have been a safe bet for 40 years. 
And they've always been, you know, pushed by the government. Like in the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln, that was the first time the federal government uh, made banks nationally by, well, in the Union at least, by federal government bonds. They've just made them hold United States paper as an asset. Uh, it means that basically, you know, the United States gets that liquidity. If the banks are buying those bonds, they get the money uh, first. Of course, they can sell it on to other investors and whatnot. But yeah, it's just uh, bonds are th traditionally have been safer than than equities, than stocks. And that's what you do if you're a bank. You're, you're managing your 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 ladder of, of duration risk. Different, you know, you have immediate duration risk, which is those demand deposits, which gets all the uh, Austrians into a kerfuffle, those that follow Rothbard very hardcore and uh, think that fractional reserve banking is fraudulent. Anyway, you have, you have, you know, zero day at risk, right? With demand deposits all the way out to 30 year bond or even hundred year bond risk for some government equities. And you just got to manage that. And apparently they did a very, very poor job of that. And of course, on the one hand, it's very difficult to do that in a rising rate environment. And of course, we're put here because we have monopolistic powers like the central bank, which have pushed rates down for the last 40 years. So that's kind of, I don't know, not sure if it fully answers your question, but that that's my read of why we're here, how we got there and why people think that bonds are safe. But right now, after we're trying to do this reckoning of not only the COVID stimulus, but all the money printing after 2008, after 2000, even, uh, you know, the, it seems like chickens are coming home to roost, but again, I'm I'm also always cautious to say let's not let's not get too worked up because they the only thing they know how to do is print and print more and give more liquidity, and they are signaling that they will do that right now after this last uh, week of mayhem in the United States and now in Switzerland and other places. So um, it seems like they want to bring back the punch bowl. It seems like they want to do that. Uh, Federal Reserve's balance sheet expanded last week. Uh, I'll do another daily on that uh, this week as well. See what happens this week. They they published their balance sheet after I think Thursday. Show the Wednesday close, but yeah, uh, it's not easy for anybody when rates go up, and that seems to be uh, what was happening. And now they want to try to stop that and reverse that. But of course, then you got to worry about the uh, the inflation bug even more. Indeed. Well, I do have to give you a. Um boost a little bit of a boost we're doing these daily shows i've been uh, checking them out on social media you guys can also follow at crypto voices and we'll uh, link to that in the show notes and everything Thanks. Um, Thanks. the most beautiful charts i've seen online um that are interactive <laughs> by the way that uh can scroll on i, I think that's good very kind <laughs> very kind so i've, I've worked hard on yeah, it yeah now you yeah. you could probably sell that api i don't know for how much uh but i think with um particularly with with hap what's happening now i mean i i want to look more at the the meta-analysis of it. We have these two sort of crypto-friendly banks uh, that were also in the crosshairs. Yeah. And the Silicon Valley bank stuff, I mean, it's just whatever, bank run, things happen. You've got people on Twitter being loud. Who knows if that actually led to what was happening. But what's interesting with the other banks, crypto banks, is FDIC, you know, they were kind of issuing their own notices. They had their regulators. We actually had the New York state regulators they went in there super quick. You know, they took time off from, um, I guess, trying to pin Donald Trump against the wall yeah. to put, <laughs> yeah. so, you know, get their finance people, the bean counters in. And they took over these banks pretty quickly. And yeah. everyone has this assumption it has to do because, you know, they would touch uh, the, the crypto friendly companies. But, you know, it, 
it's just so confusing with this. And the the one person who I thought would have some clarity um, is uh, Patrick McHenry, who's a representative from my own state of North Carolina, who's um, he's the head of the House Financial Services Committee. He went on the Sunday talking head shows and it uh, turns out he had a pretty close relationship with Signature. Uh, looks like they raised some money from him. So it's like, I just don't know where to go at this point. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, Mr. Frank, our good old friend, Barney Frank, he, his his comments were, I think, the most amazing, saying that this literally was a crypto uh, crypto hit job, basically. And when did that happen, by the way, that we would talk about revolving doors and lobbyists like we'd all talk about it like it's an evil thing. But now it's just like the absolute norm. <laughs> like nobody goes yeah. back to their to their farm, you know, George Washington style. Everybody stays mm. in D.C. You know, they get to keep their apartment. They don't have to put it on Airbnb. They're able to just like stay there, live there, earn way bigger bucks, have more influence, yeah. and then go to the steak dinners and, and pay the Congress people instead of, have, you know, having their meals covered. Or Cincinnati style. I mean, this uh, this idea is much more ancient than that. Uh, my hometown named after the great Cincinnati. I mean, go back to your plow, do what you need to do in a time of war or crisis, but uh, go back to your plow and your life after that. That's definitely not uh, the case. And certainly I think... Um, it hasn't been for decades. It hasn't been for decades, but uh, yeah, the idea is. I think it's. I think it's older than that, and so yeah, we're 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 dealing with that, right? And um, you know, I don't know. My my one my one thing I've always said, like you know, you've been in the in the Bitcoin space a long time, and and of course we've been in the classical liberal libertarian space a long time. Like, you know, people make careers out of. I don't know. You, you can go tinfoil hat, hardcore conspiracy on the one side, or just, you know, just rage against the machine for, you know, your whole life, just in general, just, you know, just, uh, saying that there's too much regulation, too much, this, too much, that. Um, so I'm, I'm always hesitant to say, this is the one, this is the big one. Right. And you know, it's, it's, uh, I do these trend line analysis, right. I'm like, even, even Bitcoin or gold, like, Balaji, for example, his uh, his his famous bet uh, that's that's just happened on St. Patrick's Day for the next ninety days. He says Bitcoin's going to a million. There's either I, I literally will publish this later today. There's either two possibilities. It's a we go into hyper Bitcoinization, which is just an extremely rare event. Like that's a new monetary epoch. Like it's over. It's done. And I'm not sure if you're going to need you know guns or uh, food or whatever ammo to get through that event. No one knows. That's just a major major change. Or B, it's an extremely rare, rare, like three sigma, close to four sigma event where it's like 99.9% of observations never hit there. You can make the case that you can get there, but the statistical likelihood is so low. But even if it does, the price falls back down. So like, I just don't, I don't see the price of Bitcoin going to a million dollars and just staying there. It's never done that before. Uh, It's never done that. So it's either, it's either hyper Bitcoinization or you just have out of nowhere this miraculous pump to reach his uh, prediction fix the money is brought to you by 21 bitcoin the easy way to buy sell save and send bitcoin 21 bitcoin is a bitcoin only app not an exchange there's no distractions there's an individual savings plan very low fees first class personal support and a german bank account based in the austrian alps it's available now throughout europe Download now using the code FIXTHEMONEY to get up to 20% off your fees over there on 21bitcoin.app. 
not your keys, not your coins. You need a hardware wallet signing device. Check out the Bitbox O2. Swiss made, secure, beautiful, open source, Tor support, Bitcoin only, and an all around outstanding product. Use the code FIXTHEMONEY on shiftcrypto.ch to get 5% off. That's the Bitbox O2, fix the money. I think it's the, the Bellagi tulip uh, affair. Um, label it, which I'm all in favor of. I think anybody, <laughs> like any any scenario in which our bags are getting pumped, you know, we'll be in favor of. Sure. The question is, is it sustainable? Is it, you know, thinking of the second order effects? Um, I mean, we're both, you know, have feet between both continents, and I have no idea what the effect would be um, on the European continent because it, it's not as if Europe is in some you know, better position. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, looking at every single measurement, whether it be demographics, looking at debt, which is increasing more and more, looking at density of housing, perhaps, hey, we've got a little bit of an advantage. But other than that, we're not looking too good on this continent. And the innovation that's happening, I mean, all it takes to really see the new span of what economies can look like, you have to go to places like Dubai or Singapore. We just don't have the same scale of innovation, you know, that that we used to have here in, on the European continent. Now it's all in all these other areas. I don't really know how we're going to fare. I'll tell you that right now. That's uh, right. It's worrying me a bit. And with the the idea of a, a Bitcoin price going up, I, I think it really is just leading to this um, alternative world of a new um, monetary base. and. Um, I wanted to ask you about that because I think this is a, one of the more interesting contributions that you make to the entire space is the the idea of fiduciary media, yeah. um, the things that I would say we mostly interact with when it comes with money. These are like a lot of the apps and you know digital money that's kind of floating around between different services we use, yeah. and then you have like the actual real money, cash money, and you know your sort of analysis is that you know Bitcoin represents that original layer. We're always playing up here in the clouds with all this other stuff, and that's why they're able to present a you know print a gazillion. Yeah, you know, are, are we going to see a reset when it comes to that? Is there a new way of thinking about it? I don't think so. My view is no, but um, this is definitely the Bitcoin Maxi view, and um, I think that this is also uh, you know if you're a Rothbardian full reserve banking fan, that would also be your view and. Unfortunately, as my, my old co-host Fernando says, this is the quicksand topic that you kind of dance around when you talk about this stuff. And we'll see if I can just quickly, quickly address it. Like, uh, yes, fractional reserve banking would come into play here. Um, Rothbard, even in man economy and state, advocated for government influence, government oversight to have 100% reserve banking. So you got to ask yourself, first of all, that's what you want. because he's, And his reasoning was that it's fraud. It's fraud. Uh, it's certainly not fraud, I don't believe. We'll talk about fiduciary media in a second. But most libertarians, even the hardcore Rothbardian fans, they don't even use the fraud argument anymore. They say, well, it still causes the business cycle, but it's, okay, maybe it's not fraud. Because of course it's not. You sign banking contracts. Everything that the bank does with your money, it's in the banking deposit agreement. You're a creditor to the bank. They're a debtor to you. That's just how it is. You actually are loaning your money to the bank. In any event, that's that's like... You can agree or disagree, but that's just how it is. There's 300 years of common law, uh, British uh, precedent there as far as, uh, you know, talking about um, uh, the sort of precedent basically of, of if if your money can be lent out this way. 
Uh, and this goes even further back to that it goes to Roman times, ancient times. So you can, you can do it legally as long as you, pro- as you provide what's called a mutuum, uh, uh, something that is, looks like what you, what you were given. If you provide something that's, uh, it can be mutable. It can be like, it doesn't have to be the same dollar bill. It doesn't see the same coin, but it has the same, it has the same value, same purchasing power. You can give it back. That's okay. In any event, I, I know I was getting the weeds with this stuff. Uh, back to fiduciary media. Um, that's everything else, right? So gold, Bitcoin, silver, copper, bronze alloys. These were the base throughout the centuries, throughout the millennia. That's just how banking was built up. And then everything else from, as you said, apps, credit cards, debit cards, checks, uh, you know, US still uses. Um, even if you want to go more crazy, like gift cards or uh, chips at a casino, like it's not a crime to use this stuff. The more that you can understand, like you can still have a closed loop system, you can have a Bitcoin system and you can have all this stuff. doesn't matter. It makes things more efficient. It's great. Adam Smith said this was great. This pulled Scotland out of the doldrums of, you know, they were a thousand years behind the, the Brits because the Romans actually never made it up to Scotland. And this pulled them out, a modern banking system with no central bank, which was free, pulled them out of sort of the, the dark ages, basically. So we've had plenty of societies throughout history that have had no central bank, free free banking. And, and the argument basically about fractional reserve banking, it comes down to, A, do you want the government to do anything? And if you... If if you and I both agree, like let's just say you're you're in favor of 100% reserve banking, if you agree that we don't want the government to do anything, great, I'm with you. Then it just becomes down to like kind of mental gymnastics, like wh- which one is it going to be? Is there going to be some fractional reserve? Is there not? Is there going to be some fiduciary media? Is there not? And fiduciary media, by the way, means fractional reserve. Like this is what it means. You're lending your money to the bank. They're doing stuff with it. They have loans, and then you can, you know. You have balances as well, which is not fully reserved by any gold in the vault or anything. But it's it's not backed by nothing. It's backed by the bank's assets, which can be very bad and influenced by the government. I completely agree. But in a purely free market, would you have 100% full reserves or not? 100% full reserves meaning 100% gold or Bitcoin or not? And so the Bitcoin maxis still think that that's somehow going to happen. I, I just don't. I don't think that's realistic. It's never been like that way in the past. Never, ever, by the way. There's never been 100% full reserve banking. It's not been illegal ever. Uh, so you have to ask yourself that, why that's, that hasn't taken hold. Um, Mm. and then, uh, what was the last point I wanted to say on this? Uh, well, maybe I'll stop there and then if you have any questions. All right. Well, I got, I got you, I got you midstream and you know, you have all of this happening and you have all these, um, innovative social layers of money. And there's been a lot of commentary on that. And, And I do think returning to the base and understanding that is important for a lot of people. I think the fractional reserve is just kind of built into this. I would wonder what your reaction would be, because, you know, when I learned about all all of this, I was but a young lad, um, a student in Canada at the time, and I uh, just fell upon this small book called uh, And the Fed Mm. (laughs) by a gentleman named uh, Ron Paul. And, you know, it was in there that I actually learned so much, and he had great references. You know, he was citing Rothbard, he was citing Hayek, citing all the right people, and, uh, you know, even contended a bit with um, what he he felt Milton Friedman's sort of error was in analyzing Great Depression and stuff like that. And, you know, back then, it was seen as very nerdy and wrong to focus on what would happen if, you know, the central bank would toy with interest rates. Mm-hmm. And now, I don't know, it seems as if there's this sort of boomerang to where, you know, there, you have constituencies who are all in favor of rates going uber high to stop inflation yeah. and then you have like the 
workers and labor unions who say, stop, we have to protect those jobs. And there's this documentary that just came out on PBS. I don't know if you saw that, uh, Age of Easy Money. I did, actually. I, I haven't finished it, but I started it. Yes. Yes. Okay. I'm probably the same point you are. <laughs> of, course they ha- of course, they have the OC actor guy talking about cryptocurrency. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I haven't but- seen that part yet. Darn it. Great. Oh. Well, it comes soon. Uh, and, and, you know, they don't really go into Bitcoin specifically. They just talk about the crypto investing uh, ICO free. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's real. But with, with all of that, you know, the, there's no questioning of the element of why do we even have this thing? I mean, this is what I love about American history. You go back and it's like, hey, Andrew Jackson, I killed the bank. You know, mm. the idea of having a national bank, you know, was seen as like this evil monster in American politics forever. And then it took Woodrow Wilson. It took, you know, a lot of uh, uh, fun stuff happening, you know, in South Carolina, Jekyll's Island, and then, yeah. you know, back in New York to get something started again. But there's no questioning of, like, the central institution. It's just what decision does the central institution make on the lever, yeah. right? Does it go up to 11 or, or zero? Yeah. Not any question about should we not have more economic power or, or perhaps remove those powers at all. Yeah. No, I mean, so many different ways we can go there. Like, look, I'm not being a woke social justice warrior, but you can say about Andrew Jackson, like, he killed the bank. He also killed a lot of Indians. Like, there's no angels in these debates. There really isn't. And, I, you know, I'm a huge fan of the American social, uh, the American justice system, right? I think that we have uh, certainly something that works compared to Russia, but does it work compared to maybe how it worked, I don't know, 100 years ago or, uh, you know, probably not. Is there less representation? You know, there's uh, Donald Livingston, uh, wrote a great book that's uh, I can't remember the name Modernizing Amer- American American America for the 21st Century I don't know, I'm totally bastardizing the name but basically he talks about how if you look at the votes that you would have from the original 13 colonies right based on how many seats there are today like you could go either way like you would either need like X many thousands more seats in Congress today, or you would look at them based on today's population ratios and they'd have like, you know, like five states would have no votes at all. <laughs> New York would have like one or two seats per, per, you know, 10,000 people or whatever it was. So like either way you look at it, we're way disproportionate today compared to where we were then. So mm-hmm. yeah, massive problems, you know, turtles all, all the way down any way you look. So uh, I don't think there's an easy answer for a lot of this like governance stuff. I do remember what I wanted to say earlier about the Fraction Reserve. And again, I'm a huge fan of Ron Paul. I've met him. Uh, yes, he's a big Rothbardian as well, but he's also, I mean, he was in Congress. He's balanced. He doesn't want a drastic change either. And he said that, you know, he doesn't want to just cut off Social Security and burn the whole thing down. He's, he said that. But, um, you know, Bob Murphy, who I really, really like as well, but he's Rothbardian on this Fraction Reserve stuff. I had him on the show as well. We talked about this. And like, so first of all, if you, if you don't think that the the government should interfere in the banking system, which I don't, and he doesn't, and he doesn't think that like Rothbard did that you need, like, this is like a constitutional thing where we need full reserves to like, that's, that's like, that's like a first amendment thing. So we need full reserves. Otherwise it's fraud. That was Rothbard's position. He even wrote about this in man economy and state. He doesn't think that nobody in, even in that ilk will go that far anymore. It's called fraudulent. So what are we talking about? He actually said on my show, and I think he debated George, well, I know he debated George Selgin about this from the, uh, and the Soho uh, forum. And he, he, he himself said unprovoked by me, I think he said this on my show. He definitely said that during the debate. He said, you know, I don't 
so we don't, no one wants government intervention. What do we think is going to happen? Well, okay, maybe reserves won't be literally 100%, but I just think they'll be higher than what George thinks. Like, that's what he said to me. So it's like, that's what we're coming down to. It's just kind of arguments on our libertarian uh, principles. I just don't think they're realistic. Uh, they are based in history. I don't think they're even that interesting. So, and then you got to think about, you know, the whole burn it down. Are we going to get through this in a, in a, in a productive way? Are we just going to go have civil war and just burn it all down? Obviously, you know, people that are moderate, middle of the road, nobody wants that. So I don't think those are the right ways to look at that. And we know these bombastic libertarians on Twitter that are like that, you know, um, it's not, it's not, uh, it's not a good look, I think, frankly, and the, the the world is getting more complicated. We have, you know, real war here in Europe, which we said never again. So all those things to me, again, I, I, I would love to have a world where we have the government completely out of everything and, you know, consumer choice and everybody can caveat mTOR and just do what you need to do. Uh, we're not going to have that anytime soon as far as national defense. We have totalitarian regimes, which don't care anything about property rights or personal liberty or life, uh, let alone the pursuit of happiness that are against us, absolutely against us. So it's not about, you know, a light touch or, you know, we're, we're first about like survival here in Eastern Europe. That's like what I'm really thinking and concerned about right now. And then you tie in, you know, all these libertarian ideas and how money will play into that, the banks and everything. I just, I don't see it at all. You know, I mean, everybody getting their own uh, noddle and running their own node and private keys. I would love it. I'd absolutely love it. But, you know, banks hold a, a function. And by the way, a Bitcoin exchange, a crypto exchange, that is a bank. I mean, that is fiduciary media. When you put your Bitcoin on an exchange, that is a claim denominated in Bitcoin that you will get back when you demand it. You might not get it back, but you're presuming that you will get it back. And that's that's just how it works. And it's it's great. It allows us to scale. It is horrible because it's a centralized endpoint that they can try to tax and regulate, and they're trying to do that. So I don't think there's an easy way to jump from like here to there as far as like where we are here and then do a full Bitcoin standard. I think we have a lot of bigger problems in the world right now we got to worry about. Uh, I also think a million dollars is bombastic in the next 90 days. Bitcoin price, <laughs> it'd be great. But yeah, like I said, that you know, that's a that's a great example actually, because that's either we're there, hyper Bitcoinization, you might need to watch your back and get some ammo, or that's such a rare event. It actually could happen, but it'd be like, you know, it happened over the course of a day or two and then the price is gonna fall back down. So that's the only way he wins that bet. Um there's yeah, no there's other way. Be, um if we're looking at the mempool today, um I got a couple transactions that have been stuck there a couple of days. And uh, if more people are going to be piling in, I don't know how that's <laughs> going to look unless we all move to, to lightning or something. Yeah. Um, I have a very specific one. Um, one thing that I've um, I have an article that will come out this week on uh, Bitcoin Policy Institute site. There's a lot of movements in the U.S. against CBDCs. Mm. And I know you've uh, written about this, talked about it. And it's mostly focused at state law. And one thing I'm sort of seeing, and I wonder if you agree, is that there's a really big reactionary bone to CBDCs so that it's almost a, a boy called a, a boy cried wolf. There's a CBDCs around every corner. And a good example mm. that I figured you'd know something about, and uh, again, having a foot in both worlds, you'd know, is this FedNow program. Now, I'll give you my quick read on it. It seems to me like it's trying to just catch up to 
SEPA instant here in the European Union in that you have instant payments between account holders, and I'm able to settle that pretty quickly. Yeah. Now, am I wrong, or is this truly CBDC light, and I should be running scared for the hills? No, no, you're absolutely right. That's my read as well. That's SEPA. That's SEPA, basically, SEPA instant. And um, So it's just catching up to Europe, you know, 10 years ago, yeah, basically. Yeah. And CBDCs, you know, make a mistake. That is central bank money that would have to work just like Bitcoin, right? except it's not Bitcoin. It's centrally controlled. But if it's a CBDC would be base money. So it'd have to be on your phone and on nobody else's phone. They're throwing around in the U.S. maybe this idea that there's this sort of intermediated CBDC, which is kind of like maybe the banks can play around with CBDCs, but you still can't. But then I was like, well, what's, that's no different than we have now. I mean, like the top five banks in the United States control 80 to 90% of the reserves, which is digital money anyway, but that's central bank money. So that's like how they back their deposits and everything. It's supposed to be the safest assets. It's the Federal Reserve. You know, that's a claim they have on the Fed. It's money printed out of thin air. It's not good. I don't advocate for it. I don't advocate for central bank oversight. But if the top five banks in the, in the United States control 80% of reserves, and that's a digital anyway, like, why would you need an intermediated CBDC? You're, you're dealing with five, you know, you just pick up the phone, even that, you know, you fax. You can even use fax and deal with, you know, these you know, managing reserves among five big banks. So, like, the United States is in a, obviously, a uniquely privileged position. And we have, you know, the dollar milkshake, as Jeff Snyder has said, or I prefer the uh, the best looking horse in the glue factory. You know, it's it's just, it's just the, you know, in Latin America, they want dollars. In Russia, they want dollars even. So, I mean, no matter your political affiliation, you still want dollars. I'm not saying that I want dollars over Bitcoin, but uh, we're just in a privileged position there. So I totally agree with you, Reed. Uh, a true CBDC would definitely be Orwellian. That's when, you know, this is the only money you can use. Uh, they have the ability to basically turn you off or tell you which places you can and can't shop at. Very, very much more Orwellian. And so far, the results have been positive. Either A, nobody really wants to use it, as in the case of like the Bahamas, where they have this sand dollar, but like this literally 0.003% of the balance sheet, no one uses it. Or even in Nigeria, where they tried to outlaw crypto, and then people revolted, didn't use the Naira, and they actually brought it back. They brought crypto back, even though they wanted to push their own, their Naira thing, which was very interesting development, I thought. So uh, I think we're okay for now. But yeah, I'm actually doing a CBDC tracker with uh, Nick Anthony from the Cato Institute and Janine. I never want to say her last name because she's a very private person. She writes the This Month in Bitcoin Privacy on Twitter. Very uh, good privacy advocate. And so we're going to do a CBDC tracker for the Human Rights Foundation. So, um, Oh, lovely. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know about that. Yeah, looking forward to to that and it'll be a lot of work but it's expanding i guess on the monetary base stuff anyway cbdc is absolutely base money controlled by the central bank and uh don't don't let anybody tell you it's good because it's it's orwellian to its core uh if it takes i'll definitely off. link to your uh your bitcoin magazine article um i think it's in two parts where you kind of mentioned this oh that's and, uh, that's funny you reminded me i was thinking about that the other day i need to write part two still i mean i'm writing it but uh, oh you haven't written part two yeah. i was like oh i'm looking for it no it's, it's from like no, uh, it's good. we'll link yeah. we'll link to the first one because it is <laughs> very very good explanation and stuff thanks um, so we'll, we'll keep it a bit short because um, there might be banks falling all around us we don't even know about uh while we're online here but you know sort of um you've been doing this this great daily program you've been putting out your content 
you know, just how about this? What's something that you didn't think you'd learn, you know, covering Bitcoin, covering the monetary economics of our era? What's just something that uh, tickles your fancy you didn't think you'd know about a year ago? Mm. Interesting question. Firstly, apologies if you hear my my baby uh, crying a little bit in the background. But um, I uh, that's a good question. I don't know, man. I I thought that uh, this would be probably an easier ride to uh, you know hyper Bitcoinization or just everybody taking on. Uh, you know, Bitcoin as a as a safe haven asset. I think we're very much in the now they fight you stage. I think that um, based on you know the hearings you've had, the, the failed FTX drama, where he was trying to bring in even more Orwellian legislation, embarrassingly so openly, and that that has all come to light now. There's so much egg on the faces of not even professionals like Kevin Leary that invested, but actual congressmen and legislators that wanted to take part in this just scammy type of a legislation. Uh, I didn't quite know how that would look, you know, and I think we're finally seeing that. I, you know, I remember in 2020 being surprised with what Michael Saylor did. I didn't see that at all. Uh, Corporate treasury kind of actually corporate treasury, you know, Bitcoin's coming first on corporate treasury balance sheets the fact that he did that is very good, and that's pushed, uh, you know, knowledge and understanding of Bitcoin onto many, many people. But we're still in this, you know, it's a volatile asset. Can you know nobody can use it because it's too volatile. We're still in this phase, and that's going to come with a lot, a lot of legislation. So, I guess I didn't, I didn't see how uh, how long this would probably be because I think it's it's certainly long. I don't know. To me, I. It would be great to have a million dollar Bitcoin in 90 days and hyper Bitcoinization. But to me, this seems like it's a, we're going to be battling CBDCs. Yes, some people are going to be really good actors like Michael Saylor and come on and take in a lot of Bitcoin. Although then you got to worry about some of the centralization factors of that. You're probably going to see, as Balaji mentioned, you're probably going to see maybe the Bank of India, developing central bank, take on some Bitcoin in the next couple of years on their balance sheet, actually backing their base money. Remember, Today's base money was yesterday's fiduciary media. So actually, central banks, way back in the day, their base money had to be gold. They had to hold an asset that was base money. And the, the notes that they would issue was fiduciary media, right? So it's, again, it's, it's turtles all the way down, man. I mean, they're, they're going to continue to try to manipulate the system, uh, control it, legislate it, put a lot of fear out there, tax it. And um, it's, 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 to me, it's shaping up to be a longer than I thought. I could be pleasantly surprised, but with the with the steam that CBDCs seemingly have, even though I, as I, I kind of just said the opposite a little bit ago, uh, regulations, tax, war. I think you know, rising interest rates as well. We're gonna have we're gonna have some challenges over the next few years. So you know, you got to stay positive, got to find joy in life where you can. And uh, of course, life is good. Uh, I hope it's good for for all your listeners as well. Um, it's always better when you have a family and you just gotta, you just gotta keep on. But I, I do think that this is going to be a lot longer fight than probably people thought or hoped for. Absolutely. Well, as we say in uh, German speaking, uh, Europe will be holding our thumbs. <laughs> uh, so that's, uh, Matthew Mazinskis. You can follow him on Twitter, uh, crypto underscore voices and Porkopolis. 
Io. Matthew, thanks so much for coming on the program. Yeah, well, thanks you very much for having me. Really appreciate it. It's great. For more interviews, articles, and content like this, go to fixthemoney.net.